Well, good morning. I think he's pleased to see us because we wrote all the Christmas presents. <laughs> well, boys and girls, have you seen these things in the shops? Yeah. Yes. What are they? Candy canes, yes. Do you know the story about candy canes? Well, if you don't, I'm going to tell you. A guy about 100 years ago in Indiana decided he would make some candy to remind people about Jesus. So he made this candy in the shape of a, does that say J? Yeah, J for Jesus. Yeah? But then that wasn't enough. So he thought um, he would do it so that if you turn it upside down, what's that? Yeah, 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 I know. But what's the, sh what's the shape? What's it in the shape? That's the shape of Jesus, J for Jesus. What's it in the shape of now? A crook. Yeah, a, a shepherd's crook, which reminds people that Jesus is the good shepherd. Yeah? And then he made it a very hard, very hard candy, very difficult to break. And that was to remind people that Jesus is the rock, the rock of ages. Okay. But then he, <coughs> the candy was white. Just a white candy. And that's to show white for purity, to show that Jesus was without sin. In fact, Jesus was God's son. He was sinless. So, Jesus was without sin. There's a red stripe there. What do you think the red stripe is about? What does that remind us of? Reminds us that Jesus died on the cross. Jesus shed his blood. That's really the really important thing. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross to take away our sin. Yeah? It's also, when you get, don't worry, you'll get one after the Sunday, after Sunday today. You'll get one to take away with you. If you were, if you were to eat it, what flavor does it have? Mint? Yeah, peppermint, yeah, and, <coughs> and that's a <coughs> excuse me. That's a reminder of uh, a plant called hyssop that was used in the Old Testament to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice, and so it, it's a talk about a sacrifice. So Jesus' death on the cross was a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's because it's peppermint. There's also a green stripe. Hmm. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's a few things that could mean. I'd like to think that green is a sign of a gift. It's also a sign of new life and growth. So Jesus is a gift for us of new life when we trust in him. So that's quite a lot about Jesus, isn't it? In that candy cane. So when you get yours after today and you're eating it and enjoying it, you can remember. And if you can remember, why is it white? show that Jesus is God himself, pure. What's the red for? The blood of Jesus. Jesus died to take away our sins and the, the, the peppermint is a sign of a sacrifice. And what's the green for? Very good, a gift of new life. Very good. So remember that, all these things about Jesus. I'm glad that guy made a candy cane, not you. And you're going to be able to enjoy it later on. Okay.
Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, quite a number of years since I was here last. Good to be back with you again today, and particularly at this Advent season. Please turn with me in Matthew's Gospel to the first chapter, and we'll read about the birth of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 1 and at verse 18. This is the word of God. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Christmas for Christians is a wonderful time of year, isn't it? When we Remember that God, the eternal sovereign God, should send his own son into the world. But why? Why did God do that? There must be, there must be a reason. Several reasons, in fact. Ever since, ever since the fall in the garden, when God could so easily have destroyed men and women and begun all over again. God had been patiently and painstakingly getting everything ready for the coming of his son. But why? One reason was that God wanted to show us what he was really like. Oh, he'd spoken down the centuries through the prophets. He told people what he was like. He'd acted in their history and demonstrated what he was like. But by coming himself as a man and living amongst us, he was showing us in an unmistakable way exactly what he was like. That's quite something. Another reason for Jesus coming in his son was to fulfill, to to fill to the full all the promises that God had made down the centuries promises to bless his people to deliver them to give them a future and a hope and by coming in Jesus God was keeping 
his promises. That's quite something. But the principle, the main reason for Jesus coming in, in Jesus, for God coming in Jesus, was to save us. That's what we just read in Matthew's Gospel. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people. How amazing that God should be so interested in human beings that he would go to such lengths to save us. But what does it mean for God to save his people? We talk a lot as evangelical Christians about being saved, don't we? But what does that mean? Well, there are two verses in Paul's letter to the Galatians that I want us to think about particularly this morning. It's fill out the meaning of what salvation is all about. Here are the verses, Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, where we read, But when the set time had fully come, or, or when the time was just right, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we, <coughs> that we might receive the full right. Now, there are two aspects then to being saved. There's something that we are saved from and there's something that we are saved for. It's a bit like in the days of Moses, the Lord saved his people from slavery in Egypt and he saved them for life in the promised land. And it's clear from what Joseph said, what the angel said to Joseph here in Matthew text, what we're saved from, isn't it? You were to give them Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, all of us, all mankind, from, despite all our knowledge and technological advances, we are, we're all still separated from God, estranged from God. Whereas the hymn says, fast bound in sin and under the sway of the prince of this world, the devil. And God, who had created us for fellowship with himself, had been working down the generations until at just the right time, as that Galatian text says, he would send his son to deliver us from our sins. But did you notice the word that Paul used in that Galatians text? He sent his son to redeem us. Redemption is deliverance by payment of a price. So prisoners might be released on payment of a ransom price. Slaves might similarly be released on payment of a ransom price. And so the word redeem here indicates that our being saved from sin is more than a simple deliverance from sin. As if God decided that he would forgive us and set us free. Being saved from our sins 
involve God redeeming us at a cost to himself because he loves us. It involved God sending his son to die in our place, bearing our sins. And by trusting in Jesus, we are delivered from sin. We're set free from sin's bondage. We are saved. That's what we're saved from. And it's only possible because Jesus came that first Christmas in order to go all the way to the cross. But our text in Galatians goes on to tell us what we are saved for. And that's what I want us to think about particularly for the rest of our time this morning. Look what Paul says. God sent his son to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Having been set free from our sins by Christ's atoning death, we are now in the position to receive the full rights of sons, to be God's children. Unlike the household slave in those days who gained his freedom by paying a ransom price and being free to go and find employment somewhere else. We are set free to become a child in that very family. Being saved means having our sins taken away, made fit to meet God, and also to be given the full rights of sons and daughters to be welcomed into the family. That really is amazing. In the time of Jesus and Paul in the first century, slavery was a very common thing. Many families would have slaves, or two or three slaves perhaps. It wasn't the awful oppressive thing that slavery was 250, 300 years ago when African slaves were traded around the world and subject to appalling conditions and treated as less than human. On the whole, in those days, slaves were reasonably well treated, even though they were owned by their masters. And so when God saves us by taking away our sins, it would have been very generous and merciful if God received us into his household as slaves. That would have been reasonable. At least we'd be provided for, we'd be safe, and willingly we'd, we'd serve such a master. But God doesn't receive us as slaves. He receives us as sons and daughters. Now I'm sure all of you here know the well-known parable of Jesus of the lost son. Yeah, the, par the prodigal son. And I think that illustrates that very well. You remember the story? Remember how the young fellow had had enough of living at home, working on the farm. So one day he asked his father to give him his share of the estate. The father, reluctantly, I guess, agreed and divided up his property. Soon the young fellow gathered all his possessions and set off for a distant country. There we read he squandered his wealth in wild living. That's all Jesus said. But you can imagine 
what he got up to. He spent everything. And just when he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. We could say there was a severe economic downturn. And this young guy had nothing. He couldn't get a job except for feeding pigs, which for a Jew was the lowest of the law, the worst thing imaginable. And he was so hungry that the pig's food looked attractive. Imagine that. No one gave him anything. Then at last, we read, he came to his senses. How many of my father's hired hands have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. Even slaves are better off at home. This is what I'll do. I'll set off, I'll go back home, and I'll say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Make me one of your slaves. That's how desperate he was. And so off he went. And you remember what happened? While he was a long way off, his father saw him. He'd been watching day after day, month after month. And filled with compassion, his father ran down the road to meet him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son began his speech Father, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he could get any further, the father interrupted, telling his servants, go and, 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 and get the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, and prepare a party. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Now, I need to tell you that the best robe and the ring and the sandals were all signs of sonship. Slave servants went around barefoot. They didn't wear good robes. They didn't have rings of authority. A slave wouldn't be given a party. The son wanted back as a slave. The father welcomed him as a son. And that's a picture for us. That's what God came in Jesus to do for us. Not only to take away our sins and have us back as slaves, but to have us back as sons and daughters. To give us the full rights of sons. What an amazing gift. Jesus came that we might have the full rights of sons and daughters. But think for a moment or two what's involved in being a son rather than a slave. First of all, a son has access to his father 
at any time. He can come to his father and speak to him about any problem or any joy. And the father, simply because he's his father, will always be pleased to see him and to welcome him because he belongs. He's flesh and blood. A slave, on the other hand, isn't always welcome, no matter how kindly the master There'll always be times when, when the master's too busy or too preoccupied to be bothered with a slave. A son can come to his father at any time. And Jesus came so that we can be God's sons and daughters and therefore we can come to God at any time and know that he welcomes us. He's never too busy. He's never too tired for us and we can come to God with anything no matter how big or small and he will hear us secondly a son shares his father's name and wherever he goes he's known by his father's name there's no doubt about who he is who he belongs to where he comes from Everybody knows because he carries the family name. And if your father's well-known and well-liked, we can imagine what that could mean for you, but not the slaves. He might belong to that master, but he doesn't bear that master's name like that. And Jesus came so that we can be God's children who bear his name. We bear the name of his son, Christ. Christians. Christians. What a privilege that should be to bear the family name. Thirdly, the son shares the father's wealth. David will be disappointed at this because I haven't got much wealth. Get the point. Whatever belongs to the father belongs to the son. Simply because of that father-son relationship. One day the son will inherit that wealth. Not because he deserves it, but because he's a son. But not so the slave. He is be paid for his labor but he inherits nothing because he's not the son Jesus came that we can be God's children who share in God the father's wealth Peter in his second letter says that God has given those who trust in Christ everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him God has given us himself. And being his child means that everything that is his is ours. And one day we'll inherit everything. That's what heaven's all about. That's what we have to look forward to. And fourthly, a son has a place at the father's table. No matter who else is invited to a meal, no matter how important or distinguished, a son has the right to be there enjoying the company and, and feasting 
on, on the good things. Not so the slave. He'd be expected to serve at table. He must eat with the other slaves and servants. Perhaps on the leftovers from the master's table. And Jesus came so that we can be God's sons and daughters and therefore have a place at the Father's table, enjoying the fellowship and feasting on these good things. What an amazing privilege to be given all the rights of sons and daughters of God. But you notice the text, what the text actually says. God sent his son to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. That we might receive. It's not automatic, you see. We've got to receive it as a gift. Because that's what it is. It's an undeserved gift. It's a grace gift. We'll all be given some gifts at Christmas. Won't we? <laughs> and the fact that it's a gift means that it's undeserved. We don't pay for it. We don't earn it. We simply receive it. In the sense of we accept it and we unwrap it and we enjoy it. And through the coming of Jesus, by his atoning death and glorious resurrection, God is giving us this gift of salvation. This salvation from sin in order that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters. And how do we receive this gift? By faith. Faith is the open hand that receives God's gift, unwraps it and enjoys it. Now, I guess most of you here this morning have already received God's wonderful gift of salvation. You are trusting Jesus as your savior. But if not, if you haven't yet, what a no better time than now to simply accept that gift and enjoy this amazing salvation. And you don't need to wait. Unlike these Christmas gifts, we don't have to wait a couple of weeks before opening the gift. Imagine it's Christmas Day and you've been to a Christmas service. The family have gathered at home for presents and Christmas dinner. And everyone there belongs to the family and so everyone has a right to these lovely presents, a right to sit around and enjoy the delicious food. But imagine, just imagine that you're a servant in that household and you'd be up in the morning getting everyone their breakfast. You'd be cooking the dinner. You'd be serving the dinner clearing up while the family enjoyed the feast. Imagine what you'd be missing. And you know, some people are like that with God. 
They're in the house. But they're simply slaving for him. You know the rest of that parable of the prodigal son. There's another son at home. And what does he say to his dad? All these years I've been slaving for you and you've given me nothing. Which was untrue of course. But that's the way he felt. And that's sadly what some people are like. Yeah, they come to church, they're in the house, but they, they don't really belong because they haven't received God's gifts. I hope you have. Jesus came so that you and I can have our sins forgiven. Jesus came so that you and I can belong. We can We can be in the family, as family, as sons and daughters of God. And we can come to God at any time. And we can share in the family 